Good morning. It's good to see you guys here. It's Palm Sunday. Weren't those kids cute? It's like anytime, that's like, that's like a, a, you know, a number one easy decision in life, right? Have kids do something, it'll be cute. You know, as a pastor, those are the easiest decisions I ever make. It's like, can we have the kids do something? Yes, let's have the kids do something. And uh, all, already, the sermon is good because the kids were cute, right? Amen? Amen. All right, just, I just want to check, you know, I, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. Um, you know, Palm Sunday, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a familiar story, isn't it? If you've grown up in church, certainly it is. You know, uh, Jesus and the donkey, and, and, and Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, and the story, you know, he tells the disciples, go get it, and, and they go get it, and, and, and all of these things, and people waving palm branches and throwing down their cloaks and all this kind of thing, and, and, and really welcoming him. It's a familiar story. It's one that, that many of us were familiar with, but, it, but in, in a sense, they kind of were giving like their own parade to Jesus, right? It's like, here's our, our parade to Jesus. The disciples had been with him for a few years. They'd seen him do all these amazing things, and here's our parade, and, and they give this, and, and this king, this, this king bore all the marks of the Messiah that would free the Jews from oppression from the Romans. That's what they thought right? I mean, here's Jesus. He comes and he, and he, and he heals people. He, he heals the sick and he, he makes the blind see again. He, he makes the deaf hear again. He raises people from the dead and, and he, he speaks in this, in this amazing way. And, and, all, and they're looking at him, excuse me, and they're, they're looking at him and they're going, is he the one? Is he the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And they, they had been looking for this political Messiah, this political Savior, and it still happens today, to be honest with you, if you think about it. We still look for political saviors, don't we? I mean, you think about it, it wasn't that many years ago, although it, I guess it's a little longer ago than when, when I begin to put years to it, the number of years it's been. But, you know, it, it doesn't really matter whichever presidential election it was, but if you go back to, you know, 2007, 2008, when Obama was running and then, and then, and then uh, installed as our president, and, and people thought he was going to be the savior. He's going to save us. He's going to change America in this amazing and positive way. And, and, and there were even stories about people fainting when they got close to him and all these different kinds of things. And, and he became our president, and he was our president for eight years. And, and then it was Donald Trump, and, and people looked at him, and they were like, he's going he's gonna to save our country. He's going to be our savior, and he's going to transform us and, and, and all of these things. And, and, and we looked to him to save our country. And all of you are squirming because I brought up politics. <laughs> and you're wondering, is this going to be a political message? Well, I don't know how it cannot be a political message. I don't know if you realize this, but, but Jesus came as a king, right? And I don't know if you recognize this, but a king is a political figure. Did you, did you think about that? We sometimes like to take our politics, we kind of store them over here. We don't really talk about them to anybody. Then we take our Jesus and we store him over here. And we never the two shall meet. But Jesus was a king. And he was welcomed as a king. And that's what Palm Sunday is about, right? Here's the stark reality that we should all face. No matter what the politician's name is. No matter what party they're affiliated with. No matter who they represent. They are not capable of being your savior. They cannot save our country. And sometimes we look at, at leaders, and sometimes it's political figures, and sometimes it's, it's other kind of leaders, right? And we think, if, if they will just do this, they'll save us, and everything will be right in the world. Can I just be honest with you? 
There is no human who has ever walked the earth save one that can accomplish that task. Not one. Not one. I'm sorry I brought up politics and for some of you that make you, make you squirm in your seat and you're wondering whether it's going to be political today. Well, in some sense it is. In some sense it is. But it's going to be biblical. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Because the, the Jews at the time saw it as political, right? They thought it was going to be political. They thought, here he is. Here's this guy. He's done all these amazing things. And, and we've seen him, seen him do all these wonderful things. And, and people are following him. They're hearing his words. And, and, and we've seen him feed like 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And, and we've seen him do all these amazing things. And he's going to be our savior. And their history kind of told them that. If you go back to the Maccabean revolt, right? And, 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 and they were, that was a, a revolt that, that freed them from oppression. And, and they were looking back and they were looking for another one like that. They wanted another revolt that would finally and forever free them from this, this political oppression that they were facing. But here's the reality as we look back on history. The kings of man come and go, don't they? The kings of man come and go. They're here today and gone tomorrow. I know this is going to date myself a little bit, but, you know, I look back and I, and I think the, the, the first presidential election I really remember was Ronald Reagan. It was him being elected in 1980. That's the first one I remember, like, like you know, in, in any real sense of experience in any real experiential way, that was kind of, that was kind of the one I, I remember. And, you know, since then there's been other presidents, right? There's been the Bushes and then there's, there's been Clinton, there's been Obama, there's been Trump, there's, there's been all these different leaders and, and every presidential election it happens. And we're, we're on, it seems like they start presidential elections, by the way, as soon as we elect one, doesn't it? I, I can't figure this out. It's like we're never out of election season. Man, it's frustrating. <laughs> But there's these elections all the time, and it's always people on whichever side. And they look and they say, this one, this one's going to change things. This is, this is the most important election in our history. This, this election will change the course of our country forever. And, and in some senses, they might be right. But can I just tell you something? There's been all, I don't, all these different presidents, right? What, what number are we on? 40, 44 or something? What is it? 45? There's been 45 presidents of the United States. Not one of them saved us. At least not eternally. Not one of them. They don't bring salvation for us. They come and they go. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. What happened to the Roman Empire that was oppressing the Jews in the first century? It's gone. What happened to whatever empire you want to go back to, they had its day, right? They come and they go. Kings rise up and they fall and they do all under the sovereignty of God. Kings come and they go. Jesus was riding in as a king, right? At least that's how he was being presented. But there were many, many kings who'd come before him. You think back on Israel's history, there was Saul, right? And then, and then after Saul, the, he, he didn't do so hot. And then, and then God brought David, and David became king. And, and he was kind of the king of legend, if you will, uh, called, called the man after God's own heart. But he had his issues too, right? Talk about scandals. Like he had some big time scandals in, in, in his reign. And then, of course, and then, of course, there's Solomon. Of course, Solomon brings back to a, an interesting picture because he also rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to ascend to the throne. Did you know that? 
go back to 1 Kings chapter 1, and it tells that story. And here comes Jesus, and coming into Jerusalem, he's coming into the city of David. And, he, and he's being presented as a king. He's, he's treated as a king and welcomed in that way. Since And after, after Solomon, there were many kings and political leaders, and they've all come and they've all gone. Some have been good. Some maybe even on the verge of great. Some flat out evil. Just flat out evil. Nevertheless, Jesus is, is presented as a king. And Matthew reminds his readers that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 4, it says this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. In other words, this was prophesied from long ago, right? There's going to be a king and he's going to come to you and he's going to ride on a donkey and you will, you will see him. And Jesus is received by the people as king. It was a glorious thing. You think about it. I mean, at one point, you know, they're waving the palm branches. They're, 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 you know, they come and, and, and they're throwing the palm branches down. And they, they, t- they take their coats off, right? And they, they throw that down on the, on in the, so the donkey, I'm not, all right, I can't do that. That's better, okay. And so I don't want a donkey to show up and start walking on my suit coat, right? Like, that's not, that's not good, but... But they, they, they're throwing their coats down and, and the donkey's just walking over them because they're, they're rolling out the red carpet. Here's our king. Here's the one who's going to save us. And they're presenting him as a king. But you know the rest of the story, right? You know what happens in less than a week, don't you? It's amazing how quickly we turn, isn't it? But here comes Jesus riding in as a king. They were full of political hope. They believed Jesus would be a king that would deliver them. But little did they realize they would soon turn on this king. They would go from praising him and worshiping him. At one point, the the, the Pharisees said, Jesus, chastise your disciples. Because their disciples, as you read the story, they're the ones who kind of started the whole thing, right? They're the ones who, who started putting their, their cloaks down first and, 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 and letting, letting Jesus walk over the top of them as he entered Jerusalem. And, and, and they chastise, Jesus, chastise your disciples. Tell them to stop. And, and what does he respond? Do you remember? He says, if I tell them to stop, even the rocks will cry out and worship him. They were full of political hope. They believed Jesus would be a king that would deliver them. One, a couple of the disciples were concerned about where their seat would be, whether it would be on the left or the right. They had this political hope, but little did they realize they would soon turn on this king. Peter would deny him three times, even after saying, Lord, I will never deny you. They would reject him. They would crucify him. Jesus would later be arrested and stand before Pilate, who would question him about his kingship. And in John 18, it tells us about this conversation that took, takes place, right? Pilate, it says in verse 33 of John 18, Pilate then went back inside the palace. So this kind of has this kind of a private conversation here. Summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me 
Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Listen to Jesus' words right here. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. I mean, you remember the story, right? They come to arrest Jesus, and, and when they do, you know, Peter pulls out his sword and, and cuts a guy's ear off, and what does Jesus do? He tells him to stop, and he, and he heals the guy's ear. There's no battle. There's no fight here. There's no, there's no battle to prevent Jesus from being arrested. He stops Peter from doing this. He stops this, this whole idea of a political kingship. He stops it right there. He ends it. And before Pilate, when Pilate questions him, are you a king? And, and they have this conversation. And at one point, finally, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Is this a political message? Yes, but not one of this world. It's a whole different kind of political message. Because God's kingdom is above this world. It's beyond this world. It's not of this world. Jesus was king. He was presented as king, not only of the Jews, but of all who would fear him and follow him. And that's what we look forward to. Because the kingdom of God is not the kingdom that we see in this world. It's not the kind of kingdom that Obama ran. It's not the kind of kingdom that Trump ran. It's not the kind of kingdom that, that some other king in some other place or some other president or some other political leader of, of whatever sort, prime minister, whatever the, whatever the term is for, for a particular place, it's not that kind of kingdom because the kings of men, they rise and they fall. They come and they go. And it would be good for us to remember that that's the case. Did you hear what Jesus said? His kingdom is not of this world. He's a different kind of king, a diff- for a different kind of kingdom. This world is a world that is racing towards an end. It will end. You might believe it, it, that climate change is going to be what ends the world. You, you, you might believe that it's going to be nuclear war or some other kind of, of, of mass destruction. You might, whatever your beliefs are about what, it, what might end the world, can I just tell you something? That this has been prophesied a long time ago. I don't, I don't know what all the mechanisms are going to be, but the world is racing towards an end. It will absolutely 100% end. I mean, that's what scripture tells us about the world. I mean, stop and think about that. Sometimes we get caught up in some of these other things. And we, and we should be concerned about the environment. We should be good stewards of what God has created for us. And Genesis tells us about that and tells us we're, we're to be good stewards of what he's, he's created. That's, there's absolutely no question about that. But the Word of God also tells us that it's, that it's racing towards an end. This world that we live in. This finite world. You can believe what other whatever apocalyptic theory you want about the world's end, whatever the details scripture tells us, the world is finite. It will end. It will burn up. And all the kingdoms of this world will end with it. But Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not the king of a finite kingdom. He's not the king of a kingdom that will come and then will disappear and fade into history. He is a different kind of king. See, King Jesus will reign forever. This is so important, you guys. This is so important. 
King Jesus will reign forever. Say it with me. King Jesus will reign forever. He will reign forever. He's an eternal king. He is not the king of something that will pass away. He's not the king of something that will, that will burn up or will fade or will be destroyed. He is not the king of that kind of kingdom. Jesus is the eternal king for an eternal kingdom with a new heavens and a new earth. There will be new everything. This is important. Listen to what John writes in Revelation chapter 7. John says this. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And listen to this. They were wearing white robes and what? Were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation! Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why were they? What was with the palm branches? They're, they're worshiping a king. They're honoring a king. See that Palm Sunday in the first century? When Jesus, er, when Jesus rode in on a donkey? They were welcoming a king. And they might have thought that they were welcoming a king that would lead a revolt. They might have thought that Jesus was going to pick up a sword. They might have thought that there was going to be a battle, that there was going to be a fight. They certainly thought, a couple of them, they said, I want to be on your right hand and your left hand so that we can rule alongside you, Jesus, because we, we love you and we want to serve you and we, we want to be part of this, this political uprising, if you will, that, that establishes Israel in the way that you promised. And, and, and we, we want to we be with you and it's going to be a political freedom from oppression, and we want to be part of that. So we want to sit on your left, and we want to sit on your right. But Jesus was a different kind of king, and they missed it. They didn't see it. So we have to go to Revelation, and, and as John writes to us, and, and, and they're, they're waving the palm branches, and they're worshiping him, but you should notice something else, right? After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And then what does it say? From every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb in other words there were no other kings they were worshiping there was one every nation there were no other kingdoms that were rising and falling anymore they might have been from those nations but now they all worshiped one god one king they all bowed before him there wasn't the division that we see in our world today and quite frankly in a fallen world the division makes sense doesn't it it makes sense. But God will establish his kingdom. Jesus will reign. He will be king. And every nation and every tongue and every tribe will bow before him and worship him. He will bring unity. It's true that Jesus would be an eternal king. For an eternal kingdom that is not of this world, he entered into this world nonetheless. That's the amazing thing about, about Christianity. That's the amazing thing about Jesus, right? The amazing thing is this, he has a whole different kind of kingdom. It's, it's, it's not of this world, as he told Pilate. My kingdom's not of this world, and yet he still entered into this world. He didn't have to. He could have 
sat with the Father and, and the Holy Spirit, the three of them, and they could have fellowshiped for eternity and, and, and just hung out or whatever, but they created, not only did they create, but, but then when it fell, when humanity chose to reject them, they established a plan to redeem humanity, and part of that plan included the Son of God, the eternal divine Son of God, taking on human flesh and entering into the world that they created, a fallen world. A world that had problems. It has issues. Does our world not have issues? I mean, did you guys, like, watch any news or anything this week? Like, I mean, just pick a time. Pick, pick a night. doesn't matter. Maybe you, maybe you can't stand watching the news. Maybe there's, I go in and out, right? Like, I don't know if any, any of you are like that. Sometimes I'm watching the news all the time, and then other times I'm like, I, can't, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to go crazy. I'm mad at the world. I need to stop watching news, Right? <laughs> And I have to kind of take, take a break and create some space between me. Be, because why? Because the world's fallen. Because the world's evil. Because there's all kinds of things wrong with the world. I think we can all agree on that. Even if we disagree about what exactly is wrong with the world, we know something's wrong with the world. Amen? It doesn't take a rocket scientist or... Or somebody with a bunch of degrees to figure that out. The world is a broken place, yet Jesus entered into it. The king of kings, the king of the universe, the one who created all things. He could have said, fine, you guys don't want me? Fine, have it your way. Deal with your consequences. But the eternal divine son of God entered into the world. Jesus is the eternal, righteous, just, and holy king. He is all that is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Whatever hope we have for salvation can only be found in an eternal king like Jesus. Whatever hope we have for salvation can only be found in an eternal king like Jesus. See, those who welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday had high hopes. They thought salvation, if they could just you know, would come in this life. If we could just make this life better, then, it would be, then, then life would be good. That's all we really need to do, right? Can I, that's, that's what's so wrong in the political world. So many of our politicians on whatever side of the aisle, I, 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 don't, I don't think it really matters. So many of them think that, that we are capable, humanity is somehow capable of making the world uh, this, this amazing place. That we don't really need God, we don't need salvation, we don't need King Jesus. All we need is the right policy. If we can just write, pass the right policy through, through the House and through the Senate, and if, if the President will just push the right agenda if, if we could just have the right judges, if we, can just, if we can just do those things, if we could just get the right people in power, if we could just do all of that, then this world that we live in right now, it'll be great. That's the story we're fed all the time. And we believe it. We naively believe that that's the case sometimes. Even those of us who are, who are most committed to Jesus, I think, get distracted by so many of those messages. I think that's the only thing that keeps me sane when I watch politics, when I listen to political messages, honestly. Because over and over again, even people that I mostly agree with, I think have this idea, they have like a Messiah complex, right? They think, if I can just get my agenda passed, if I can just do my thing, if I can get my program 
past, then we can, we can fix poverty. We can fix socioeconomic problems. We can fix uh, you know, division in, in, in all other ways. We can, we can have a, a, an economy that's, that's amazing. If, we, if I can just get my policy into place, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more people hurting. There, we, if I can just pass this healthcare thing, then everybody will be healthy and well and, and all these things. And can I just tell you something? I don't know if you realize this, but everybody dies no matter what kind of health care they get along the way. Do you recognize that? I'm not saying we shouldn't be for good health care, whatever that looks like in your political scheme, fine. We can have that discussion some other time. But I'm just telling you that everybody dies even if they get the best health care in the world. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. See, our political system cannot save us. But what happened on Paul's Palm Sunday? Here's what happened. The people that welcomed Jesus as king confused an earthly, finite salvation for an eternal salvation. He was certainly the king they were, he, he was certainly the king they were looking for in the sense that they were looking for a Messiah, and he is that, but they, confu- but they confused how salvation would look. Would he, would he provide political salvation from oppression? from the oppression of the Romans and others, or would he provide a whole different kind of salvation? And the answer was a whole different kind of salvation. It's, it's amazing because as they welcomed Jesus, right, they quoted from what's known as the, the Egyptian halal. It, it, it's basically these psalms. It's, it's Psalm 113 through 118. And, and, and during Passover, which this was during Passover, right, they would recite these psalms all the time. They would have these psalms and they would recite them. So here comes Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. It's this picture. They all knew about the story about Solomon coming into Jerusalem. And they all knew that. They all knew that story, the city of David, right? They understood that, that Jesus was being presented as a king. And, and as he came in, they began to chant from one of these psalms from Psalm 18. And here's what it says in Psalm 118, starting in verse 22, which is also the psalm that, by the way, we did the... The scripture reading, the responsive reading from earlier, we did the first four verses, but you jump down to to verse 22 and it says this. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Listen to this, verse 25. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And then this phrase that, that is familiar to many of us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless him. Every time I, every time I read that phrase this time of year, I, I want to start singing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now you know why Johnny sings. All right. Anyways. Yeah. Right? But it's just one of those things that sticks in my head growing up, right? But that... That, that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting from this, from this psalm. And Lord, save us. Grant us success. As Jesus, the eternal king, rode, rode in town as, on his donkey, they greeted him, right? In, in, in Mark eleven nine, it says this. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's the thing about that word, Hosanna. The word, Hosanna, that word is the word in Psalm Oh, 118, that's translated, save us. And it actually has kind of a time sensitive or an urgency to it. You, as a matter of fact, in the, in the King James, I think it is, it actually translates it, save us now. 
which is a perfectly understandable translation of that, of that Hebrew word. And, it, and it's, save us. So here comes Jesus, and they are yelling out, save us. Save us now, God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you're coming in the name of the Lord. We recognize that, and we want you to save us because we know we need salvation. And we need it now, God. Save us now. And so they're quoting this psalm, and these psalms, ironically, I guess, would often be quoted and chanted and sang as, as the lambs were being prepared to, for sacrifice and as they were being sacrificed. The irony isn't lost, I hope, when we see them quoting these things and these, these psalms that would often be quoted during the Passover as the lamb was being sacrificed. And, and here comes the lamb of God riding in as a king who in just a few days would sacrifice his life and go to the cross and shed his blood. They expected a political king, but what they got was the Lamb of God who would pay the price for their sin. Save us. Save us now, they begged. But Palm Sunday is about ushering in Jesus as king And the question is not, will he reign? The question is, will you kneel? See, here's the the reality. Jesus is going to reign. Philippians, it reminds us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, will, will it be now or will it be later? Can I just tell you now is way better than later? He was presented as king. He will reign. And he will reign over an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. Will you kneel? Will I kneel before him? Will I submit to him? I ask you a question. Who's reigning in your life today? What's reigning in your life today? Who are you following? What what are you kneeling before? Is it the God of money? Is it the God of, of, of relationship? Is it the God of success? Is it the God of status? Who is reigning or what is reigning in your life? When you walked in here this morning, who was in charge? Who was calling the shots? Was it you? Because that's the oldest sin. The very first sin was a disagreement about who was going to call the shots. God said, I'm going to call the shots, but I'm going to give you a choice. You can actually choose to disobey me. And so he put the fruit, the forbidden fruit, in the the center of the garden and said, you can have anything you want, just don't have that, right? And and they said, no, we want to call the shots, God. So we're going to sit on the throne. Are you your own king? Who's reigning in your life? What's reigning in your life? How's that turned out for you so far? Is it going pretty good? When you're running your life, as you look back, have you made good decisions? Is your life without sin? Is it without problems? Is it without issues? Because here's my guess, that when you reign in your own life, you go down a path. This is not a guess. I, I take that back. This is, I know this for a fact. When you reign in your own life, you always end up in a bad place. May not be right away, but it's coming. 
Who's reigning in your life? Do you think that God needed you for something when you came in today? As you walked in the doors, did you get up this morning and did you go, you know what, I kind of feel like I'm going to do God a favor, I'm going to go to church today. As you walked in the doors this morning, did you think, hey, you know, God kind of needs me, and so, so I'm going to go to church, and now I'm going to go to church, I'm going to find a place to serve. You serve here, Grace, you think you're doing God a favor? Can I just tell you something? He doesn't need me, and he doesn't need you. But he wants us. He wants us. Did you, did you later in a, in, a, in a few moments when we pass the offering plate and you, and you put whatever in there you're going to put in there, you give online, whatever the case might be, are you thinking that somehow God needs your money? Can I just tell you God doesn't need your money? He doesn't need your money. But he wants your heart. Who's reigning in your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Is it time for a regime change? Is it time to change who reigns in your life? Jesus was presented as king. My question is, have you recognized him as king in your life? The question is not, will he reign, but will you kneel? But God, I got to warn you about regime change. I don't know if you pay attention to the world much, you know, we have, we have the privilege in the United States, we see regime change, you know, every four to eight years, and it, it's generally peaceful. But in most parts of the world, that's not the case. When there's regime change, guess what? There's an uprising. There's a fight. There's blood. There's war. There's battle. When you turn your life over to Jesus, can I just warn you that it's not always peaceful. <laughs> When you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to put you as king in my life, you better be ready because it might not be the easiest thing you might, you've ever done. It might be the hardest thing you've ever done. And at that point, you've got to release your life to Jesus. You don't even get to be in charge once you do that. When you kneel before God, God's in charge. And following Jesus is no joke. It's not something we do on Sundays. It's, it's a life change. It's everything. You give everything to Jesus. You give your career to Jesus. You give your family to Jesus. You give your kids to Jesus. We just signed over uh, or, or, or handed our daughter the title to her car yesterday. Not a big deal, right? Here's your car. As a matter of fact, we're going, now get off the insurance, right? It's like... But there's, there's something in that passing, right? We're, we're at a stage of life where our, our oldest is, is kind of, you know, she's going out on her own. She's got, a, she's got a husband. Oh, man, that still sounds weird. I'm working on it. But, you know, here's the title to your car. You're, you're giving, I'm giving you power. I used to be dad. I protected her. And even after she graduated from high school, she's an adult. She, she reminded me of on occasion, right? And, um, and she would, and, but even that, I still protected her, right? We still, you know, we still helped her. We still paid for her phone bill and her car insurance and things like that. We still helped her out. And now I'm, I'm handing it over. When you take the title for your life and you hand it over to God, you are giving up being in charge. When I handed my daughter over to, over to my now son-in-law, I was handing her over to him. 
She's his responsibility. But when it's your own life, it's different. When you hand yourself, when you get on your knees before God, when you kneel before him, you're saying, you are in charge, God. No longer will I be in charge. And sometimes people look at you. They think you're crazy. They think you're dumb. They think all kinds of things. They, they, they don't want to have anything to do with you because you're one of those religious wackos. It can cause relational strife. It can cause financial strife. It can cause all kinds of problems in your life. So I just thought I'd warn you that when you turn your life over to Jesus, it's not the easiest thing you've ever done. It's probably the hardest thing you've ever done. But it's also the best thing you can ever do. And we ought not forget that. That God can run our lives so much better than us. Amen? Jesus not only decided to enter into this world, not only walked among us for three years, but then even after people to his face said, I will never forsake you, I will never turn your back on you, and then they would later turn their back on him. Whether it was Judas, whether it was Peter, it doesn't matter. They all did. The very ones who welcomed him into Jerusalem, the city of David as king, that they were going to kneel before, days later would shout, crucify. And he would willingly, without a fight, as Isaiah puts it, like a lamb before the slaughter, go to the cross and shed his blood so that he could make the entire world right again, so that there would be a new heavens and a new earth, so that there would be redemption, so that there would be the forgiveness of sins, so that whenever you put yourself in charge and mess things up, he would come in and redeem it. There is no sin so great, there is no problem so big, that Jesus, King Jesus, cannot overcome if you put your faith and trust in him. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much.